Oh, how many of you were watching that time and then all of a sudden we had extra time? Yeah, I know you saw that and I thought, I'm going crazy. I ran to the back to JD and like he said, no, we just need three more minutes. Um, it's really good to be with you this morning in worship. So before we get into the call to worship, can I find out just from a show of hands, if you're sitting in the seat that you usually always sit in? Okay, isn't that amazing? Like, you know, I've already chosen a seat in this church, and it's kind of in the front because that's where I'm sort of stuck. But, um, you know, I kind of looked around and realized something um, when the choir was on, that most of the choir sits in the front. Okay, so it means that there are front seats available in this little middle section. So I want to give you a heads up next week when you come to church. I know it's great to fill the sides, but like the front is open now because the choir are in the front. They've given up their seats. So in case you feel like sitting there next week. Friends, it's very good to be in, in the house of the Lord. And let us read together the scripture from Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time on and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Let's come to God in our call to worship now. Would you stand with me, please? God of life, once more you have called us together for worship. We have come to be reminded of who we are. We have come to explore who and how we are calling to be in the world. God of light, in this time together, open our eyes, our hearts, and our very beings to see to hear, and to feel how you are active in our midst. God of love, who calls us to live well, may this time we stand listening to the music of the small voice awaken and learn how we can give love in action, how we can care for all our relationships. We pray in the name of Let's continue as we worship together. How I many you know that God is great? Amen. Did I throw that at you too quick? Okay, I'll say it again. How many you know that our God is great? Yeah. Whenever you come into his presence, don't come with your hands closed. Don't come with your arms folded. You can't receive if your hands are closed. And you can't take in all you can take in if your arms are closed. So we're going to loosen up our arms. We're going to open up our hands to receive from the best blessing that you can ever get. Is that amen? Amen.
time, oh, there's nothing. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Before we start this next song, I feel like sharing that a year and a half ago, I had a surgery in my neck and they told me that I wasn't going to be able to walk properly. They told me I wasn't going to be able to worship and sing and open my mouth. They also told me I wouldn't be able to lift my hands a year and a half ago. And I come and tell you that no matter what the world tells you, the person that has the last word is your God, not this world. And today I stand here as a miracle stating that I can lift my hands, I can worship. I'm able to walk perfectly fine and that's by the grace of God because he allowed it. And I tell you, worship him in the midst of your trials. Worship him because of who he is. Worship him no matter what they told you, you can't do. He has the final say. Amen. of who you are, I give you glory, because of who you are, I give you praise, because of who you are, I will live my voice and say, Lord, I worship because of who you are, Lord, I worship you because of who you are. Come on and sing with me. Because of who you are, I give you glory. Because of who you are. Jehovah Jireh. 
Jehovah God, our provider, our Prince of Peace, we worship you today. Gracious and loving God, your people are suffering. We pray to you that where there is woundedness, help us to bring healing. Where there is discouragement, Lord, come and support us and comfort us and hold us in your arms. Where there is dismay and mourning, help us to bring the power of new life and new opportunities. Father God, I pray that you will heal us. For you are our help and our hope, the one that we turn to in times of trouble. We confess that sometimes healing comes in a way that is hard to swallow. know that quick fixes of the world are so much more pleasant, leaving us free to go back to our usual routines when all seems well. But Father, your way is so powerful, and if we take it, it will remake, remold, and renew our lives. It will reorientate us to you and you alone. Lord, turn us to your love for justice and true worship. Forgive our sins for which you weep. Father, forgive us when we hesitate. Grant us courage to choose you as the way, to serve you and you alone. Father of all of our salvation, who weeps for us and for this world, we know that you desire that we would all rest in your presence and be saved. As Christ, a human like us, gave himself for all of us, that that may be true. Father, hear us today as we pray together the way that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. So each week we get a chance to sort of celebrate some things that are happening in our church and community through our pray, engage, serve, give, all of those things, right? And I'm so excited. Something is coming. Something really big and really orange. I have no orange on today. But Jeff, you're not really big and you're not really orange. But would you come tell us what's really big and orange coming this way? All right. So uh, as we approach the uh, the end of summer and the leaves start to change color, oh wait, that doesn't happen here. So we know we know that fall is coming when the pumpkins are coming. All right. So. Need lots of help always with the pumpkins, and it starts it starts before we get to October even because next weekend at eight o'clock in the morning we're going to set up the pallets, set up the floor under the tent, get everything ready so that when the pumpkins come the next weekend, everything's good and ready for the pumpkins. That said, our first truck will be October first at eight a.m. Um, many hands make light work. Everybody comes out and helps, and it just it, it's just. 
it's such a joy what what the pumpkin what a pumpkin can do um, what it what it means to people in the community that can come out and enjoy pumpkins on our patch the, the the things that have happened out there it's just just incredible it's incredible what we can do collectively with the proceeds that we get from the pumpkins and the the missions that we can continue to support and to, to help the church do the the, the good work that, that it's doing um, and so uh, then after the pumpkins get here, they're out there every morning. Um, the first week this year, we're going to do it a little different. We're going to go a little bit later in the afternoon. So we're going to go 1 o'clock to 7 o'clock instead of so early in the morning. The second week, we'll go to our normal hours, 9 to 7. There is a, a sign-up genius, which is an app. It will either be on the website or in the On the Horizon email. So you can click on it, go in and pick some times to sign up and come out and help. Um, Charlie will be down and, and out there. but. Uh, it just, it's just, it's nice to have someone out there with Charlie helping him. Um, it's just a joy to be out there as we get to the, the preschools coming out and, and enjoying their time in the patch. Um, so I, I just look forward to seeing everybody out there. And uh, the pumpkins are coming. really excited because it's my first time with a pumpkin so I can see what a pumpkin can do and friends when um, when our pumpkin season starts we also begin a stewardship campaign in the church so that is going to be a journey of how we express our gifts how we experience our community together but we want to do our stewardship this year grounded and rooted in prayer we don't want anyone to miss out so we're going to be taking um, so just before the pumpkins arrive we're actually going to begin the month with a dedicated time of prayer, and we're going to be using Dynamite Prayer, um, which is a, a wonderful program. I spoke about it in the newsletter. If you want to know more about it, speak to myself, speak to any one of the pastors, speak to Anne. We want you to be part of that journey. So let us see what pumpkins and prayer can do in the month of October. And we're going to come now to the offering, and I ask those that are going to be taking the offering, they'll take it now. And please don't forget that tonight we have the, the youth, um, the tweens and the youth from 5 to 7 o'clock. We would love you to join us. And I'm going to be spending some time with the parents um, that are interested in, in helping, serving in the youth. If you'll come and let's chat and share some ideas together. And so let us pray. Lord God, as we come today, we give back through this offering, through the offering in the week. We thank you for the generosity of this community, for the generations that have given to extend your kingdom on earth. 
And we pray, God, that we would be good stewards of all you have given us in our gifts, in our talents, in our serving, and in our offerings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'd like you to stand with us. Everybody stand. And I know the choir is back up here. They're just there, basically. They're just there. But I want you guys to show them that you know this song. All right? Here we go. much to the worship team and the choir and to everyone that allows us to enter the presence of God in worship. Friends, it is a privilege for me um, to, to introduce to Glory. Not that Glory needs in any introduction in this church, but one of the things that really blesses my heart as a pastor is how God raises up voices in every community to preach the word. And so Gloria has been part of this community right from the beginning, and she will bring us this incredibly difficult scripture today. Um, and, and as she leads us in God's word, I want to lay a challenge before us as a church. We have the gift of God's rich blessing from generation to generation, and we need to pray that as Glory leads us, that younger voices will also hear the call to preach. I love listening to pastors that have grown in the church, preach the word. And so it is a privilege for us, Glory, to listen to you today. Thank you. Very kind indeed. Um, so our scripture today, as Pastor Jackie said, is kind of a difficult one. So I want you to listen to the words carefully and really assimilate it into your heart as I read them. I'm reading from Luke 16, verses 1 through 13, and this is from the CEB Bible. Jesus also said to the disciples, a certain rich man heard that his household manager was wasting his estate. He called the manager in and said to him, 
What is this I hear about you? Give me a full report of your administration because you can no longer serve as my manager. The household manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is firing me as his manager? I'm not strong enough to dig or too proud to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from the management position, people will welcome me into their home. I have this idea. One by one, the manager goes and sent for each single person who owed his master money. He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, 900 gallons of olive oil. The manager said to him, take your contract, sit down very quickly, and write 450 gallons. Then the manager said to another, how much do you owe? He said, 1,000 bushels of wheat. He said, take your contract and write 800. The master commended this dishonest manager because he acted cleverly. People who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than are who belong to the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into the eternal home. Whoever is faithful with little is also faithful with much. And one who is dishonest with little is also dishonest with much. If you haven't been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches? If you haven't been faithful with someone else's property, who will give you your own? No household servant can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Pretty powerful words and pretty difficult words to hear and especially to preach about. So I just want you to bow your heads for a moment and pray with me. Father God, may the words from my mouth and the two meditations of my heart be ever pleasing unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. For those of you who have actually been worshiping both online and in person, um, we've been following the lectionary. We chose this early on in the summer, and we've been preaching on the book of Luke since about mid-June. And it's, it's actually these scriptures um, that are a result of actual eyewitnesses who walked with Jesus and stood among the crowds hearing his teachings, learning his words when he was alive. They are timeless messages that we all still need to hear. And these stories were well-researched by Luke, who was a physician. And he was actually trained to be a Greek historian. So we know that he was proficient at what he did. He was a man who was interested in fine, fine details, every detail. And he probably would hear it time and time again from many different people before he deciphered it. The Holy Spirit called him to give an accurate account of Jesus' life, 
and birth and death. And to write his teachings during this short three-year ministry that Jesus had. It's also interesting to note that, that Luke wrote also the Acts of the Apostles and that he actually wrote 27.5% of all of the New Testament. So hear these words and know that they are blessings. Why had God chosen Luke, though? This is a really interesting question, and that's why I want to start there. I want to start kind of with the background of this scripture that he transposed so long after. I believe for many, many reasons. Luke was probably a Gentile who traveled and ministered with Paul during his third missionary trip, his, his journey through the Holy Land. And, and it's interesting to note that he might just very well be the only Gentile writer in all of the New Testament. So he knew firsthand from speaking to people, many, many people, about the words that changed lives, right? When he actually sat down to write these important details, his good friend Paul had just been imprisoned um, at the time in a Roman prison. The year was A.D. 60. He had been arrested in Jerusalem and brought to Caesarea. He stood trial before the Roman governor, Felix, but was neither condemned nor released. So there sat Paul in prison. It would be two years before Paul actually commissioned the, um, as a Roman citizen directly to Caesar to actually release him. And then he was actually released. But let's imagine then what was going through Luke's mind at the time of this imprisonment. This is a man who walked with Paul. How must he have felt knowing full well the possibility that Paul might not live beyond this sentence? And there were many more that were witnesses to Jesus Christ's life and history that were now gone. That these teachings could be forgotten forever through time. Luke knew instinctively that he had been called for this challenge. And let's keep in mind, too, that Paul was writing the epistles to all these different churches during those two years, right? He was behind bars, imprisoned, writing to the churches. At the very same time, the Holy Spirit was well at work. And I want to remind all of us that the Holy Spirit is still well at work. This is the same spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ. Let's understand that when these words were spoken by Jesus, there was this battle going on between good and evil, justice and injustice. Sound familiar? At least one of every three parables actually centers around money or greed. Do we wonder why? Jesus needed to get this message over and across board to all ends of the earth for all times. Luke transposed these stories during an equally turbulent time when the gospel was actually being spread in and throughout Judea and, and the Holy Land, the neighboring nations even. Jesus had been crucified about 60 years before, and now one of Jesus' biggest advocates was in prison with no conviction. We know that Luke was very detail-oriented. He was also highly respected as a man of truth. 
The scripture I have just read is one that is not often preached on, as Pastor Jackie said. And I wonder, too, if Luke might have even had a little difficulty writing this. After all, it was only transposed in one of the Gospels, and that was the Gospel of Luke. And most preachers actually agree that it is a diff difficult text to undertake. I was not relieved when I read this at all. And I want to tell you that I prayed over it, I read it, I reread it, I obsessed over it over and over. I even had a nightmare about it. I'm not kidding you. That I came before you to preach and my words were nowhere to be found. And then someone went to get my, my book and they brought me a sermon I had preached two years ago. And I sat there until the church lights went out and everyone left. And it was a nightmare. But it's funny, one pastor, I, I researched and researched, one pastor actually even entitled his sermon based on this message, what? With a question mark. So you can well imagine um, I had to spend time on this. That's why I wanted to start with a little bit of history of Luke and of the scriptures, because not everyone sitting here or listening online knows the history, and the history is important. It has everything to do with why it was transposed. This subject matter kind of makes us squirm in our seats, doesn't it? And you can well imagine it had people squirming back then, too. It asks us what we do with our many blessings that we have. And it also asks us what we value most. It's a good question, isn't it? Often when we spend time with one parable and ask the Holy Spirit to just guide us in some kind of understanding, which I truly had to do, we end up kind of surprised at how great the provision can be that, that actually this, this alone can can make us breathe new life into the world and into ourselves, into our families even. Hopefully, as we hear Jesus' words today, there will be a sense of how we can apply them to our lives because it's when we search our own hearts that we find true conviction. And I believe that then through conviction, we find repentance. And through repentance, we find forgiveness and a new life in Jesus. Luke knew the importance of getting every detail right so that others would know the truth and spread the good news to all ends of the earth. He was also getting old by now and probably felt a bit urgent to get it written. After all, Luke was writing about the Son of God who had been sent to live among us, to walk among us, so that we would know the very nature and personality of the God that we serve through Jesus. This parable is only found in Luke, like I said, and it is sometimes entitled the parable of the shrewd manager. I thought it was interesting. I looked up the word shrewd because maybe in our modern day English language, we look at shrewd a little differently. Shrewd or chronimos in Greek can be translated as prudent or wise, having or showing sharp powers of judgment, 
It's even called astute. When someone is astute, they are shrewd. This parable also sometimes is known as the parable of the wisdom and folly regarding stewardship. I found myself asking all these questions as I read this text. There's information missing, isn't there? Jesus always made his point, but sometimes his point would go in so many different directions. So it can be confusing. Here, Jesus told his disciples a story that actually sounds really contemporary. We could put names on this story today, I believe. There was this certain rich man, and we wonder, how did he gain his wealth? Because that first stanza says nothing about that, right? He was a, he, then there was the dishonest manager, who now was about to lose his job because he'd misspent his employer's assets. Understandable, right? We would probably fire someone for less than that. Maybe not. Maybe this manager actually knew that this rich man was gaining, gaining wealth on the backs of these hard laborers, the laborers that worked the fields day and night, who took very little from the crop. And without them, this rich man might have nothing. So what does the manager do? In order to avoid having to do manual labor, heaven forbid, or receive any kind of charity from anyone, this manager went to those who owed his employer's money and told them that they now would owe a meaningful portion of each debtor's amount owed to the master. Ingenious, right? He even had them all personally rewrite their contracts, sign them even, so as not to have his own signature as proof and evidence. Pretty brilliant, right? He did this so that they'd be hospitable to him after he lost his job and didn't have a way of survival. Smart thinking, but pretty bold, don't you think? And some might think even devious. But we ask, was he right in doing so? Was this just some sort of robbery? But then something surprising happens in this scripture that I want to note. The employer commended dishonest, shrewd manager for his wise handling of this pending termination. So we think maybe, just maybe, this rich man started to understand his own greed. How he had always taken others so for granted and given back so little, maybe, just maybe, he had a change of heart. And these were the same people that continued to bless him, who made him wealthy, only throwing them further into debt. Notice it does not say that the employer praises the manager for his dishonesty. He he only, only for his cleverness. It wasn't, it wasn't about the dishonesty. He was clever, and he was commended for it. But why was he commended? And I think to answer that question, we need to realize that this parable acts kind of as a bridge to connect the stories of the prodigal son in chapter six, uh, 15 and the rich man and Lazarus in chapter 16. 
You've heard many of the parables in and throughout these last couple of months, and now we want to look at that, those bridges. What was Jesus doing here with these teachings? Like the prodigal in the preceding story, our dishonest manager had squandered what was entrusted to him. And like the story that follows, today's parable begins with the phrase, there was a rich man. I even tried picturing myself sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing these words among the disciples. And all kinds of thoughts and questions came to my mind. I wondered what might the disciples be thinking as he spoke? Who were they focusing on? Because it's important to understand that the parable, although spoken directly to the disciples, was also meant to be heard and appreciated by the Pharisees who would absolutely be sitting close by so that they'd grasp its meaning speaking so that they heard his teaching Jesus was pointing out to them that they too were sinners and as a result needed to feel regret and repent of their behavior because they had always considered themselves as being spiritually elite they had become lovers of money they were not using their money to advance God's kingdom, God's purposes. And we too run that risk. Don't you wonder if they began to take this message personally as they heard it? Who was this certain rich man? Or maybe they identified with the rich man's longtime manager, the one who did all the accounting and trade of the estate crops. He would have been a very trustworthy position with his landowner, making most all the decisions of the harvest as well as selling or trading of the products. The one who supposedly wasted valuable resources. But was he wasting them? Were they picturing his large, wealthy estate just dripping in plump olives, like surrounded in shimmering fields of gold and wheat? When ready to be harvested, they would just sweep in and take the riches. They were most likely actually putting a name on this person as Jesus spoke of the rich man. Not at all thinking about themselves. Maybe they were hearing this story and feeling empathy for the hard laborers who tirelessly reached into the high olive, olive trees, pulling the olives down only to put them in large baskets and then cart them miles and miles away to be squeezed and made into olive oil, to be cured and bottled, and then taken to market. The labor behind that is huge. Maybe they were thinking of them. Maybe not. What thoughts went through your mind as I read that scripture? Because I asked you to kind of really assimilate it as I read those words. Because did you notice that around Luke 16, 8, the text changes somewhat? Jesus said, the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted cleverly. So perhaps this manager was not as dishonest with the boss as was his boss with those who owed him such large amounts. It then says people who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than the people who belong to the light. 
he was actually drawing a contrast, wasn't he, between unbelievers and believers. And he says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into the eternal homes. Hear the good news here. He also said, whoever is faithful with little is also faithful with much. And the one who is dishonest with little is also dishonest with much. If you haven't been faithful with worldly wealth, he says, who will trust you with true riches? The true riches he's talking about is the riches in heaven. If you haven't been faithful with someone else's property, who will give you your own? Jesus is talking about the stewardship of our God-given resources here. No household servant can serve two masters. Do we believe that? Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. In the last line of the parable, Jesus says it very clearly by saying, you cannot serve God and wealth. This so-called dishonest manager sought to do good not only for himself, but for those who had this exorbitant debt to pay. I think the message is to do good unto one another and build solid relationships here based on love and care and willingness and gratitude. No matter the worldly cost, no matter the worldly cost, one thing I've learned as a student of scripture is that the Holy Spirit is not still in these words. The Holy Spirit moves in these words. And because they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, there is something special for every single one of us who dwell in the word. Especially when we read parables, the words of Jesus. They seem to stir us in this new, deeper place than these surface words that we use daily. These parables become so utterly personal when we read them in an applicable way, don't they? We ask the question, how does this pertain to me? Or simply, what was Jesus trying to say to us here? Certainly it was not surface issues with Jesus, but something deep within our beings that he wanted to, to reach, our conflicts even where we would find ourselves one-on-one -on -one with truths we might need to face. My hope is that when we enter into our time of stewardship this next month in October, we will continue to just be at the feet of Jesus in prayer and respond wisely in the giving of our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. So we would like you to stand with us as we sing our last song. And the song that we're going to do is Your Grace is Enough.
Are you happy for grace? There's a song that says, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We don't know who we were before God came in our lives, right? And he made a difference in our lives. Is that amen? Wonderful eats. We'll look forward to seeing you tonight and have an incredible week.